Uh, yeah, thanks, Andre. Appreciate it. Good morning, Saints. Good morning. How are you guys? No, I, I really am asking. I really am asking. How are you guys? Doing? <laughs> you don't. You don't all have to uh, answer at uh, at once. For those of you perhaps who might not be uh, familiar with me, uh, my name is Amu. My full name is extremely difficult to pronounce. Um, so if your medical aid isn't up to up to date, uh, then I wouldn't advise you to try and uh, pronounce it. It's O Amuhetsui. O Amuhetsui. Yeah. So in Setswana, that means you're welcome, literally. Yeah, you're accepted, welcome. Um, all of those synonyms, as uh, you know, as uh, as correct as they might be. For those of you once again who are not familiar with me, my name is Amu, as I, as I said. Um, I'm married to Tiamo. Um, you, your wife was late this morning. My wife is only coming second service, so I think that puts you one, uh, one notch up. I'm one of the deacons here at uh, Grace Covenant Church, and I must say, it's always an honor and a privilege to come and minister the Word of God. I think there are a lot of things on earth that we get used to, that we perhaps take for granted, but if there's one area, if there's one scenario, if there's one set of circumstances that I never take for granted, it's the opportunity to come and minister the Word of God. I think, you know, we could quote verses literally from here to the moon and back on the importance of preaching, not just the correct thing, but preaching the truth. Because everything that is said from the pulpit, everything that is said from the stage is said to direct your life. And if I'm going to stand here and turn you to turn left, when you should actually be turning right, then not only am I putting your life at risk, um, I know it sounds a bit somber, but I'm putting my life at risk as well. Because I will have to give an account of every word that I say especially if I'm claiming to say it on behalf of the Lord. So this morning, as we minister and as we talk, um, if, if anything else, just understand how seriously I want to take this, this opportunity, if nothing else. Amen. Now, it's incredible because this morning I walk into the prayer meeting at 8. And, uh, you know, when this happens, you don't know whether to, to be excited or petrified. But as soon as Andre starts speaking... And then Mam Zandi starts speaking, and you think, shucks, these people have taken half my sermon. And you wonder, you know, is it a confirmation from the Lord, or is it an opportunity to quickly change <laughs> what you wanted to talk about? Because the Lord emphasized in my heart during the week as I was preparing, just the issue around seasons. Just the issue around seasons. Because I am convinced, saints, without a shadow of a doubt, that one of the core functions of the church is to not only understand what season that they're in, but to function according to the season that they're in. I want to say that again. One of the core and critical functions of the church is, number one, to understand what season we find ourselves in, firstly, but secondly, to then function according to that season. Now, I spent most of my, my childhood... Um, in the northwest in Brits, not too far away, and Pretoria. Now, anybody who's from Brits or Pretoria will understand that there are only two seasons on earth, winter and summer. Autumn and spring are just placeholders, I promise you. Literally, up, to, up, up till I was in high school, I always thought to myself, what in the world is autumn and what is spring? Because it's either hot or it's cold. That's how my brain functions. I think people perhaps in KZN and and, 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 and Eastern Cape and Western Cape perhaps have a, have, a, have a more clearer understanding of what autumn is. Perhaps it gets a bit windier. Because, I mean, even today, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit windy, but you know by two or three, it'll be hot again. And what we then do, unfortunately, spiritually, we get into the habit of saying, right, I'm either excited for the Lord, happy, it's a good season, or I'm sad. 
And we forget that in between the happiness and the sadness, there are seasons that are in between. And if you speak to any farmer, he'll explain to you how important autumn is, and how important spring is. Because all four seasons, as, 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 as short as they might be, and as limited as they might seem in our minds, all of them play a function and a role. It is important as a church that we understand what season we find us in. Amen. I mean, if you look at, for example, First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, we read about the sons of Issachar. The Bible talks about these sons, and it says the following. It says, these sons knew and understood the times, and as a result, were able to direct the children of Israel. Because they knew and they understood the times and the seasons that they find themselves in. And as a church, as individuals, as, as a collective, it is important that every now and then we stop and take a look at the mirror and ask ourselves, are we functioning according to the season that we find ourselves in? I think Mamzani said something very powerful a bit earlier, just a few minutes ago. He says, we get so used to God speaking in a specific you know, environment, in a specific season, that when we change seasons and the Lord's voice perhaps is a bit softer, or perhaps it's a bit louder, we then think, no, 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 it can't be God. Because the God I know only functions in the heat. Or the God I know only functions when it's cold. But the Bible says, as true as day and night exist, there will be a season for planting and a season for reaping. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, as true as day and night remain, there shall be a time for everything. So this is the context that I want to start speaking with this morning. To say, as a church, it is important that we open our eyes, our physical eyes, number one, but secondly, our spiritual eyes as well, and ask ourselves constantly, God, are we functioning according to the season that we find ourselves in? Are we praying according to the season that we find ourselves in? Are we fasting according to the season that we find ourselves in? Are we worshiping you according to the season that we find ourselves in? I mean, I'll use, I've got one more example here. If you read in the book of Esther chapter 4, this is what the Bible says in Esther chapter 4 verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, liberation and rescue will arise for the Jews from another place. Who knows whether you attained royalty for such a time as this and for this very purpose. I want to say that again. It is important as a church that we constantly ask ourselves what season we are in. And to function according to that season. Amen. Now, having said all of that, the question remains, what season are we in? <laughs> and that's exactly what I, talk, what, what I want to talk about this morning. What season specifically do you find ourselves in? Now, as I was praying during the week and I was preparing, the Lord spoke to me about something that perhaps isn't very nice to hear, but is important that we hear and understand. Generally, Currently, South Africa, Africa, in the world, there seems to be a sense of, for lack of a better term, depression. There seems to be a, a sadness, a, a sadness, for, for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, just the environment is just pushing us towards, towards sadness, towards depression, towards, you know, one might say a winter season, a winter season. And the question that we then need to ask ourselves is, if this season is a winter season, if this season is a season that is pointing us and leading us to, 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 to an environment of depression, how then are we to respond to that? 
How then is God looking to answer and bring about a word and bring about a resolution to the season of depression? Because what's happening is subsequently, let's just have an honest conversation. Because I want to make this clear this morning. You know, sometimes, you know, when you stand on the pulpit, it's important that you preach a top-down message, right? So if you think prophecy, if you think commandments, it's important. But then there are other times and there are other seasons where the message has to be here on the same level. It's got to be relational. And today's message is a very relational message. Because the Bible says that, you know, in the book of Psalms, it says, so I think it's Psalms 40, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, the Lord came down and lifted me out of the deep miry clay. There are times and there are seasons where the Lord, as, as powerful and as great as he is, is willing to come down to our level and lift us up. Because he understands that sometimes a top-down relationship, a top-down engagement won't work. The Bible says at the correct season and time, he sent Jesus Christ way down to the earth to come and relate to us, to come and walk with us, to come and engage with us. And today's message is very relational. So I'm not coming perhaps as, uh, as, as Moses might have come down with a set of tablets down the mountain and saying, hey, you need to do this or, or, or the Lord's not going to be happy. But I'm speaking from a very relational level to say together this morning, let's walk and let's interrogate what the Lord is trying to say to us in this season and in this time. Amen. Now, this spirit of depression, this spirit of, of, of sadness is, is resulting in a number of things. And one of the most, one of the most obvious results of this is, is substance abuse. We're living in an age where the element of substance abuse, where the element of, of addiction to, to, to a myriad of factors, to, to explicit material, to, to certain beverages, to certain behaviors and habits, is becoming more and more commonplace, dare I say, even in the church. Dare I say, even in the church. And this morning, I want to say to you, as clear as daylight, that the Lord wants to come down to the level even of that addiction this morning. The Lord wants to come down to the level even of that, of that, of that obsession, perhaps, with, with that explicit material. The Lord wants to come down to that level and lift you out of the deep miry clay. That is, what the Lord, that, that is what the Lord wants to do this morning. And as I said, as, as, as we were worshiping and as we were ministering and even as we were praying, all these things served as confirmations in my heart that the Lord is really looking to come down this morning. He's looking to come down from his throne and lift us up out of the sense of depression and out of the sense of, once again, sadness. I think all, all the linguists will, uh, will give me a few more synonyms as the, as the sermon continues. Amen. Now, the point that I'm trying to put across this morning can be summarized in one simple term. Hope. H-O-P-E. Hope. The Lord is looking to remind us and to revive the spirit of hope in the church. The Lord is looking to re-engage us and to reinvigorate us to a thought pattern, to a life pattern, to a prayer pattern that is in line with the hope that he has placed within us. That is in line with the hope that he has placed within us. I've already mentioned how many challenges we're facing. I'm sure if I was to call every single one of you to come and stand here, and we're all to probably last the whole year and straight into next year. Because every single one of us, at varying degrees, at varying levels, in different environments and circumstances, are being buffeted and challenged and pushed on a daily basis. 
And as Pastor was saying about earlier, some of you have come to church this morning thinking, I'm going to try this one more time because the challenges are just too much. And if it doesn't work today, I'm done with this. I'm going for plan B. And that plan B, as I said, might be perhaps, you know, back to that substance or back to whatever it is that serves as a crutch, that helps us to try and, and, and survive the challenges and the obstacles that we're, that we're facing. You know, I said this the last time that I was here, and uh, I didn't get as many smiles, but I'm going to say it again. <laughs> the issues of faith are not just about the soft things. The issues of God are not just about the soft things. There are times and there are seasons where God wants us to wrestle even with the difficult things, even with those private issues, even with those you know, seemingly sensitive matters that, that you could never blurt out publicly. But the Lord is looking once again to come and say, you know what, that thing that you think is difficult, that thing that you think cannot be overcome, that, that thing that your mind has taught you how to justify, I want to come and I want to take you out of the deep miry clay. And I want to reinvigorate and re-inspire you to a life that is consistent with the hope that I've placed within you. Because, saints, we are called as a church, we are called as the children of God to be a fruitful people, to be a multiplying people. And, you know, as, 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 as any botanist will tell you, you can only multiply according to the seed that you are. So if, 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 if I'm filled with anger, if I'm filled with depression, if I'm filled with sadness, because I'm prone to multiply it, the only thing that I'm going to do is multiply the sadness and the sorrow and the defeat and the addiction and the depression. But if I'm filled and infused with the hope of God, then by default and by, by my very nature, I'm going to be inclined to multiply the hope that the Lord has placed within me. And because we are multipliers, and because, you know, we are, Jesus Christ says, we are, we are like lights that are placed upon a hill that cannot be hidden. Whatever it is that is, that, is, that, is, that is holding us back, that is buffeting us, needs to be challenged head on. Because whether we like it or not, people are looking at this light. Can I, can I, can I tell you perhaps an open secret that you might not be aware of? As soon as you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you set yourself up as a light on the hill. And people are looking at you whether you want to or not. Whether you like it or not, people are looking at you in your workplace, people are looking at you in your school environment, people are looking at you in your neighborhood. If you, if you go out of line, even by one step, you know, <laughs> then you're already a target. Yeah, yeah, Christians, eh? Chucks these Christians. You know, they, they, they talk a big game, but yeah, put them under pressure and you'll see that they're just humans. And it's important that when we get to a point where we understand that people are looking at us, that, you know, and once again, I'm not talking about perfection from a human perspective because that will never happen on earth. That will achieve, I think, when Christ comes. But, but, you know, Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind me, I press toward the mark of the high call. And on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, I might not be where God necessarily wants me to be. But when I look back over two, three, four, five, or ten years, I think, hey, I'm better than I was ten years ago. I'm better than I was five years ago. I'm better than I was a week ago. I'm better than I was two hours ago before I walked into church. And we need to continue to press on because people are looking. And then thirdly, we are carriers of the prophecies and of the dreams of God. 
We have been called as a church and as a people of God to carry out the promises and the principles of God. So if we are held down by the spirit of depression, if we are held down by the spirit of of hopelessness, then we won't be able to achieve what the Lord wants us to achieve. You know, we think back, we hearken back to to the parable of the the three, you know, of the talents. Where, just, just to put it in context, you know, the Bible says a master went on a journey and he gave three of his disciples, three of his servants' talents. The first one multiplied it, God said, great. The second one multiplied it, God said, great. The third one, the Bible says, took it and hid it, thinking, ha, my master's going to be pretty happy with me because at least, at the very least, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't lose it. But because God has called us to be a multiplying people, God has called us once again, just to harken back to what I just said, to be a carriers of his dreams and carriers of his prophecies, then we need to stand head on against everything that tries to stand against us, carrying the dreams, the purposes, and the prophecies of God. Carrying the dreams, the purposes. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, when you find yourself in a time of tumult, remember the prayers of your mother. Remember the prayers of your grandmother. Remember what it is that you're carrying. And allow that to push you. And believe you me, whether, you know, it doesn't matter how hard we try, we cannot achieve and we cannot reach those heights that the Lord has set for us if we are held down by, for example, substance abuse. If we are held down by an addiction to certain things. If we are held down by depression. If we are held down by fear. If we are held down by sadness. The Lord is looking to break through. The Lord is looking to bring us into a place where hope not only becomes, you know, a habit, but it becomes part and parcel of who we are. And that we are in a place where we can give others hope. Because the Bible says to us in the book of Corinthians, it says the exact same comfort that you have received from the Lord, that you may be able to give it unto others. That we may be able to give it unto others. So once again, just, just to repeat, we need to fight for the spirit of hope. Because obviously, number one, we're facing, I think, the challenges, and I've said that. Secondly, we are born and called to be fruitful by the Lord. And then thirdly, we're carriers of dreams, prophecies, and the promises of God. Now, we're talking about hope. Let me just uh, grab a glass of water there. Uh, this is one of the perks of, uh, of preaching. So, um, if you ever doubt the calling, just ask yourself, do you drink water? <laughs> and uh, if the answer is yes, then I can assure you that you're called to preach the gospel. Amen. Now, definitions are very important. Definitions are very important because we're, we're talking about hope. And it's important to understand what it is that we're talking about when we talk about hope. Amen. Because hope is an interesting word. Just like most words in the English language, it's, it's evolved over the years, somehow, to be synonymous with the word wish. So, for example, when I say, I hope my team wins a trophy, then what I'm effectively saying is, I wish. Look, it might happen, it might not happen, but look, I wish. You know, I hope I'm able to make it to work on time tomorrow morning. I hope I'm able to wake up on time for church. It's, it's hope and wish have somehow become, become synonymous. And that, 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 that somehow <laughs> is, is, is the nature of the English language. I mean, um, I've got a few definitions here. You'll tell me they resonate with you. Um, I, asked, I asked a friend a bit earlier in the week, you know, what the word compromise means. And he says the following. He says, compromise means the art of slicing a cake 
in such a way that everyone believes that they've received the biggest piece. <laughs> Apparently. And then I asked them, what, 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 what is a conference room? You know, and he says to me, a conference room is a place where everyone talks, no one listens, and yet later everyone disagrees about what was said. <laughs> and then I asked him, all right, then what's an office? And he says to me, you know, an office is a place where you can relax after a strenuous night at home. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so when two people are talking about compromising or when two people are talking about an office, they're not necessarily talking about the same thing. And it's important that we, we reclaim as a church, we reclaim the definition of hope. Because the world is hoping, like I said, I mean, they're hoping for a lot of things. They're hoping the economy improves. They're hoping their the favorite team wins. They're hoping for X and Y. But, but, but the Bible says to us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of the things hoped for. So clearly there's something more gravitas, something more powerful, something much stronger about the hope that we're talking about than just wishing and, 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 and desiring, perhaps for lack of a better term, that things go well. The Bible says to us that hope is the foundation upon which faith is based. It is the substance of the things hopeful. And if you read further down in verse 6, it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. And, you know, if, if you think about just, just basic math in terms of the law of transitivity, they always say, you know, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. So if it is impossible to please God without faith, and faith is the substance of the things hopeful, then without hope... <laughs> There can be no pleasing of God. Because without hope, there can be no faith. Am I making sense? We can have a philosophical discussion after the service about that. But <laughs> hope is the foundation of faith. So if hope is the foundation of faith, then it's important as a church, it's important that as, as a people of God, that we find out what the word of God means when it talks about hope. If the solution to this depression, if the solution to these concerns and these worries that face us on a daily basis is to re-invite and re-engage and remarry the spirit and the concept of hope, then we need to understand what hope means for us as children of God, for us who have been washed by the, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, this is not a, you know, in Latin they call it a, a numerous clausus, you know. Uh, it's got nothing to do with clausa people. Uh, it means a limited number. So the things that I'm going to mention today are not a limited number. We can, we can talk about 10 more. But there are three important elements concerning hope that I want us to engage this morning. Right. So are we still on the same page? It's important that we, that we walk together. I said it's important to understand, number one, the season that we're in. Right. Secondly, I then, see, I then said the season that we're in seems to be leading us and to be directing us towards pressure and depression and addiction and so on and so forth. I then said thirdly that the solution to that is hope. So are we, are we still on the same page? Yeah. Now what we're doing at this, at this current juncture is to try and define hope. Now the first element of hope is the element of desire. Hope has to do with desire. It has to do with what you want. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you what? The desires of your heart. I've always found it quite interesting how in many of Jesus Christ's miracles and exorcisms, that's, that's, yeah, that's quite a tongue twister, exorcisms, he would ask the person on the other side of the miracle, what do you want me to do? And it's a bit counterintuitive because if a blind man walks up to you and he says, heal me, you know, I think, I think everybody standing around him would go, 
you know, for lack of a better term, duh. I mean, it's obvious. And yet Jesus Christ, in his holiness and his power, is still interested in what it is that you want him to do. So the first element in terms of the definition of hope is understanding what our desires are. Then we cannot enter into hope for those desires. And the simple question that I'm asking this morning is, what is it that you want from the Lord? There's absolutely nothing sinful about that statement. What is it that you want from the Lord? What is the desire of your heart? Because the Bible says if you delight yourself in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. Of your heart, your heart, your heart, in your own personal capacity, in your own little corner. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. So, so that is the first element. Secondly, hope has to do with confidence. Once you've established what the desires are, then you need to be able to run the race confidently. The Bible says to us in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, because within that confidence lies your reward. Within that confidence lies your reward. The Bible says this of Abraham. It says, in hope against hope, Abraham believed. So if we use him, for example, as, as, as a case study, we understood that the desire of Abraham was quite clear. Abraham desi- desired descendants. That's what he wanted. He wanted children. He had the cars, the houses, the mansions. Um, if you think in 2019, um, contextual situations, he had the reality show. Uh, what am I missing? He had the, the Twitter handle. He had the 10 million followers on Instagram. Everything was set. But the one thing that was missing in his life and in his heart which was children. And he made it clear to the Lord. He said, Lord, please give me children. Otherwise, I will have to leave my inheritance to my slaves and servants and so on. He made it clear. The Lord then said to him, fine, at a correct time and hour, I will give you those children. The Bible says literally it took, it took, it took a point where, you know, Sarah and Abraham were 99 and 100. On the brink of, you know, by, by today's standards, death. And you can imagine how much confidence it would have taken to move from the time when you've explained and prayed and fasted and asked God for your desires to the point where you are 99 or 100. Some of us have only been waiting two weeks and we're already, we're already lost all day. You know, in fact, in fact, I'm being generous. Some of us have been waiting an hour and a half. Like the desire started as you walked into the church. That desire just popped up in your head and you're already thinking, Yo, God, it's almost 10 o'clock, eh? This thing hasn't happened yet. But it takes confidence to get to where we're supposed to go. A couple of weeks ago, during the apostolic visit, we were told about how faith and patience need to be married together. And how these two things, when we marry them and call them perseverance, are the key to receiving the promises of God. So we understand that hope has to do with desires, but hope, secondly, has to do with confidence. And then thirdly, hope has to do with the plans and the will of God. Hope has to do with the plans and the will of God. Now, I know when I said desires a bit earlier, some of us thought, hey, he's giving us a blank check. Eh? We can just sign it off and take anything and everything and just walk into every store. But no, we understand that even though we've got desires, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, the Lord in his perfection is able to polish them in such a manner that when they eventually come to us, then they're perfected. In fact, uh, I'm being a bit soft because the Bible is a bit harsher. It says, 
for we do not know how to pray. You know, and I, every time I read this verse, I think, sure, I've been a Christian forever. And, and, the, and the verse is still saying to me, you do not know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is able to perfect our prayers and take them to God in such a manner that they're in line with his perfect will and power. In order that when these things are manifested finally in our lives and in our hearts, they do not ruin us. So that when you eventually get that convertible BMW, you're still able to come to church on a Sunday. That when you receive that job and that promotion, God doesn't all of a sudden become a philosophical question. Hey, like, shucks, when I was struggling, you know, God was real. You know, I understood him. But now that there's a million rand in my bank account, shucks, hey, I've been reading a bit of Nietzsche and Kinkergrad, uh, and yeah, you know, I'm having a philosophical, you know, um, impasse. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is able to perfect our praise in such a way that they're in line with the perfect will of God. This is what the Apostle James says. He says, <laughs> do not be so presumptuous as to say, tomorrow I will go there, and next week I will do that. Because man may make his plans, but it is the perfect will of God that shall eventually come to pass. So we've got desires, and these desires are inspired by God, and they are motivated by God, and they are supported by God. We need to have confidence for, for these desires. But lastly, we need to understand that the perfect will of God will perfect our desires in such a manner that when they're finally manifested, that number one, they're exactly what it is that we want and need, but that number two, and more importantly, they do not lead us away from the presence of God. They do not separate us from the perfect will and authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Are we still on the same page? Are we still on the same page? So, we need to understand the season. We're living in a difficult season. The answer to that season is hope. Hope has to do with desire, it has to do with confidence, and it has to do with the perfect plan and will of God. And in closing then, I want to talk about specifically what the Lord as a church is calling us to be hopeful for this morning. So I want us to, to focus in on a few desires and a few things that we need to remain confident in. The first of those things is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Now Paul, Paul, Paul says the following, he says, if Christ be not raised, then our faith is futile. If Jesus Christ did not come to earth and die and rise on the third day, then we are wasting our time by coming to church on Sunday morning. Netflix is available. Amazon Prime is available. We're wasting our time. Believing in God and having a, a, a relationship with Christ requires an understanding of the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says to us in the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, it says the following. It says the exact same power that rose Christ from the dead is at work within us today. The exact same power, not one that is like it, not one that is similar to it, not a, not, a, not, not a diluted photocopy. The exact same power that rose Christ from the dead is at work within us. So allow me to say this morning that the Lord is looking to resurrect your life this morning. The Lord is looking to bring about a resurrection of families this morning. The Lord is looking to bring about a resurrection of dreams this morning. 
the Lord is looking to bring about a resurrection of anything and anything. And absolutely, you know, I, I don't think you need a theology degree to understand what anything means. Because the exact same power that rose Christ from the dead, the Bible says, is at work even this morning. Even in this autumn, I'm learning, this autumn season. The Lord is looking to bring about a resurrection. And the question that I want to ask to you is, what is it that you want resurrected in your lives? Because I said a bit earlier, hope is about desire. What is it that you want resurrected in your life? The Bible says, with prayer and supplication, do what? Bring all things to the Lord. Be anxious for nothing. But with prayer and supplication, bring all things to the Lord. And then the Apostle Peter says, cast all your cares upon the Lord. And, I, and I've always loved that picture of casting because he doesn't say bring it. I mean, casting is almost, um, you know, you know Vaughan can explain, is, is it called a dropkick, Vaughan? You know, uh, I think of uh, Joel uh, Stransky there in 95, you know? Cast them, literally, as far and as hard as you can. Take them to God. And the Lord is saying, those things, those relationships, that, that business perhaps, that, you know, I know you've been putting in your CV 101 times, and you're not being called for an interview, but the Lord is looking to resurrect the hopes and the dreams that you have for your career. The Lord is looking to resurrect that calling that has always been upon your life. The Lord is looking to resurrect that relationship that you know you need to have in your life. The Lord is looking to resurrect those things. So that's the first thing that I want us to have confidence in. That's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Secondly, and quite, 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 quite linked to this, is victory against our enemies. Now, it sounds, sounds terrible, Shaq, saying this pastor is just bringing about, you know, a fighting, fighting spirit. But the Bible says we've got an enemy. It's quite clear. It says in the book of, you know, in the book of Peter that our enemy roams around like a lion looking for one to devour. I spoke about addictions and, and, and all those other things a bit earlier on. And the Lord is looking to bring about victory over those addictions. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but you've been struggling with that addiction for too long. You've been struggling with that obsession for too long. And your mind has taught you how to justify that addiction. I need this. I can't survive without this. You know, everybody else is doing it, so it's fine. There's medical research that supports the importance of this addiction. But the Lord is looking to give us victory over our enemies. The Lord is looking to give us victory over the seemingly impossible enemies. The Lord is looking to give us victory over the enemies that have come down the generations of our family line. The Lord is looking to give us victory over the challenges that have come down the, the generations of our political lines. The Lord is looking to give us victory over all the enemies that, that, that you might have perhaps inherited by default. You know, we talk about being at the wrong place at the wrong time. The Lord is looking to give us victory over our enemies. And then thirdly, we need to have confidence and hope once again, a resurrected confidence and hope in the providence of God. Providence, provision, support, supply, whatever name you want to give it. We need to come back to a place where we have hope in God providing. In God providing. In God not just providing. In fact, let me go one step further and say, in God being the provision that we need. And God being the provision that we need. The Lord is looking to resurrect hope in our hearts, saints, this morning. The Lord is looking to bring us back to a life where we're hopeful 
where we wake up hopeful, we go to bed hopeful, we come to church hopeful, we leave church hopeful. When we look at our children, you know, the Lord's been quite good um, to, to my wife and I. We're expecting our second child. Um, so very excited about that. But what happens as soon as you find out that, you know, you're expecting another child, what happens to the human mind? Oh, budget. Yikes. <laughs> All my Arsenal games. Although I don't think that would be such a bad thing, um, depending on, on the context. But, but, but the hope and the confidence that we have in the Lord's provision allows us to look forward to these things with hope, with joy in our hearts, with peace in our hearts, to say, God, if you could provide for the first one, then you'll provide for the second one. Amen. If you could provide for the second one, then you'll provide for the third one. And we'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, my yeah, no, my wife is on. She'll be here second service, so uh, I'll use I'll use a different example in the next in the ne- in the next service. I promise you. But to look forward with hope, it's incredible how the only time we we find ourselves hopeful, isn't it just sad and crazy that for the for the most for the most part, the only time we find ourselves hopeful is literally. At midnight on the 1st of January. For the most part. We're hopeful about that weight loss. We're hopeful about changing those habits. We're hopeful about getting that job. Hopeful about achieving that. And then by the 1st of Jan, we're back once again to the season that we find ourselves in. The Bible says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And his mercies never come to an end. And listen to what the next verse is. It says they are new every morning. Every morning. So when you walk with Christ and you walk with the Lord, then every day is New Year's Day. Sounds a bit silly. But every single morning is the 1st of January in our lives. Every single morning, that hope that we had at midnight when the firecrackers went up needs to be reinvigorated and re-inspired and re-infused into our hearts and into our minds. Amen. So that's, that's the message that I had this morning. Just from a relational level, to say the Lord wants us to be hopeful again. The Lord wants us to be hopeful again. There are things perhaps that are sensitive that you can't blurt out publicly. And then there are other things that are collective. But whatever it is, as long as it's in line with the perfect plan and will of God, the Lord is saying, I want you to be hopeful for that thing again. I want you to go back to the 1st of January again. I want you to go back to the first time you thought about that thing and you desired it. Because if you delight yourself in me, I will give you the desires of your heart. I will give you those things. And in closing, I want us to read quickly uh, Psalms chapter 42 and 43. I want us to read it together with whatever verse that you, or rather version that you might have there. Psalms 42. And I pray that this becomes the prayer of our hearts. So you'll see Psalms chapter 42 has 11 verses. And 43, I think, has about three or four. And I want us to read it together. Psalms chapter 42. I'm going to read it from verse 1 in the Amplified Version, Psalms chapter 42. It says, As the deer pants longingly for the water brooks, so my soul pants longingly for you, O God. Hope. My soul, my life, my inner self thirsts for God. Desire for the living God. 
When will I come and see the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? But these things I vividly remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go along before the great crowd of people and lead them in procession to the house of God. Like a choir master before his singers timing the steps to the music and the chant of the song. With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a great crowd keeping a festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become restless and disturbed within me? Hope in God and wait expectantly for him. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. The burden is more than I can bear. But therefore I will fervently remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Mount Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the thundering sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song will be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to the Lord my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a crushing of my bones with a sword, my adversaries taunt me while they say continually to me, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become restless and disquieted within me? Hope in God and wait expectantly for him. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And then chapter 43, just four verses and then we're done. Judge and vindicate me, O God. Plead my case against an ungodly nation. Oh, rescue me from the deceitful and the unjust man. For you are the God of my strength, my stronghold in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God to guard my exceeding joy with the instruments and praise him, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you restless and disturbed within me? Hope in God and wait expectantly for him, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. I know you're in despair this morning, but hope in God. I know it's tough this morning, but hope in God. I know you've tried a million times and you don't want to try a million and one times, but hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Omar.